0: There's a long-standing rule that says lawyers can't use misleading or false comments about themselves in order to get new clients. Well, there's no reason that that would apply only to television commercials or print advertisements. That, That principle applies also to what lawyers would do when trying to market themselves through any new form of technology.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer. The award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambroji. West Coast meets East Coast. And yes, they are attorneys. Bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us. I'm Craig Williams from a surprisingly rainy Southern California. Uh, but my co-host, Bob Ambroji, is off today. I'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management program for lawyers at goclio.com, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms at suntrust.com slash law, and Firm Manager from LexisNexis at myfirmmanager.com slash L-T-N. Well, today we're going to be talking about the ABA's Commission on Ethics Preliminary Issue. And we're going to be asking the questions of where lawyers stand on the issues of advertising and ethics, especially when online technology is in the picture. Reaction was not good to the ABA Commission on Ethics 2020's preliminary issue paper last fall on the potential restrictions on lawyers' use of technology for marketing and advertising. Legal marketers and legal bloggers were concerned, to say the least. Since then, the ABA has released changes to its initial proposals on lawyers' use of technology-based client development tools. So Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at the ABA study of online advertising, the popularity of technology in the legal community, reaction to the study, and take a look at the proposed rule changes by the ABA and, in reality, what it all means. We have two great guests today. Our first guest is Andrew Perlman. He is the chief reporter for the American Bar Association's Commission on Ethics 2020, which is reviewing and proposing changes to the ABA model rules of professional conduct and the American system of lawyer regulation in light of advances in technology and the increasingly global nature of the law practice. Andrew is also a professor at Suffolk University Law School in Boston, where he writes and teaches in the areas of legal ethics and civil procedure. He is also a co-contributor to a legal ethics blog, LegalEthicsForum.com. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Andrew.
0: Thanks very much, Craig. It's a pleasure to join you.
2: And our next guest is Nathan Darling. Nathan served as the 2010 president of the Legal Marketing Association, an international organization with over 2,500 members dedicated to advancing the practices of marketing, business development, and client service in law firms. Nathan is currently the director of client development and marketing for Van Ness Feldman out of Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Lawyer to Lawyer, Nathan.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Landry, well, maybe since you're with the ABA or at least – uh part of their uh, commission here. What is the commission's position and what is its overall mission?
0: So the overall mission uh, is to address lawyer regulations and how they should be changed or updated in light of changes in technology and, and the increasingly global nature of law practice. So, former president of the ABA, Carolyn Lamb, established the commission back in 2009, and it has really a three-year mission to, to study these issues and come up with recommendations, um, and will be submitting a wide range of proposals to the ABA's House of Delegates uh, for uh, next year. And so, that's a little bit of background. Uh, one of the issues among Others that the commission has been studying is uh, legal technology, and in particular, how that technology is being used for marketing-related purposes. And I think that was uh, the particular issue that you addressed at the top of the show.
2: Well, and Nathan, what, what's the? Uh, let's talk about the rise in popularity and technology of the of in the law about smartphones and social media and legal blogs. And, and what was the real start of this commission? How did it from the ground up? Where did it get going from?
3: I'm not as familiar with the start of the commission as Andrew mentioned. I think uh, ABA President elect Lamb or President Lamb formed it in 2009, and I actually met with um, President Lamb uh, later that year to discuss um, her formation of it. And, and I guess, you know, to partly answer your question, the marketer's interest in this topic goes back many years. LMA has um, advocated since 2005. For uniform regulation of lawyer advertising across all U.S. jurisdictions, um, and we we generally support um, the ABA model rules as being the model that should be applied to all the jurisdictions, and this is a real pain point for our members, who uh, many of whom work in firms with offices across uh, multiple states and have multi uh, or indeed national practices. And complying with the 50-state patchwork quilt of advertising and marketing regulations is a huge burden. So our interest in the 2020 Commission, uh, we were glad to see that President Lamb formed it, and we were keen to get involved and share the perspective of our members on it because technology, just to use one example, certainly has changed in in radical ways and continues to change the ways in which lawyers communicate uh, with the lay public and with the buyers of their services. And we felt that the current model rules did not adequately address um, the current uses of technology, uh, but we we urged the commission, and I think the commission did a great job with this in their proposed uh, changes, to exercise some restraint uh, in, in its review because, well, the rules were written with some archaic language, for example, uh, the model rules uh, included a reference to television being a new medium for advertising. Well, again, that's just one example of how they had gotten a bit out of date. But to your earlier question about whether there was alarm about the commission, I think that some in the industry were concerned that the ABA would take um, uh, an approach of trying to regulate technology or regulate the internet. And we really applaud the commission for uh, not doing so. We think that their results are are thoughtful and uh, a really well-balanced approach to recognizing the opportunities that the internet afford tech, uh, afford lawyers to develop their practice and to communicate about legal services in ways that aren't just advertising. And uh, so we we're, we're happy with uh, with this outcome.
2: Andrew, what what was the uh, thrust of the original commission report that raised uh, so much ire across the internet?
0: Yeah, so uh, what was originally released wasn't really a report or even a set of proposals. What was originally released was an issues paper, which was really just an attempt to identify a number of issues that we had spotted and that we wanted feedback on. It was really kind of preliminary to developing our proposals. And I I think the reaction that you mentioned at the top of the show wasn't really in response to any proposal that the commission had produced, but rather the the asking of the questions that made people concerned, I, I think people had concern uh, that we were asking questions about lawyers' use of technology, for example, the internet, in order to engage in marketing, that perhaps the commission had some sort of agenda to uh, regulate or create new restrictions regarding lawyers' use of that technology. But uh, really, from the start, the commission was really just asking the questions and trying to identify what the appropriate issues were to even be thinking about. Um, And I know the commission very much welcomed the reaction because it helped Um, uh, helped our thought process and helped us think through exactly what kinds of uh, proposals we should be coming up with. But I I don't think that the commission really had in its mind that it was going to go in any particular direction when it released that issues paper. It was really an effort to to try to get a handle on what the issues are and, and what people thought about them.
2: Nathan, what was the reaction when the issues paper came out?
0: Uh, for the most part, people, as I mentioned, um, the responses that we got were expressions of concern that the commission would develop new restrictions about uh, the Internet or try to make it more difficult for lawyers to use the Internet to market their, uh, their services. So I would say certainly that was not the exclusive reaction that we got, but we got quite a few um, comments along those lines.
3: Craig, I was just going to build on that a little bit, if, if I could. Um, we, as, as Andrew mentioned, I thought the commission was very fair and very inquisitive in its in its study of the issue. And when I testified before the commission uh, in person uh, in 2010, they asked us to come back to them with some information, which we then provided in, in written comments. But I can just share a couple of, of of facts to your earlier question about what is the what were some of the catalysts that may have driven some of this initially. Um, LMA's own survey of its members uh, in November 2010 identified that 85% of our respondents said that that their law firms are engaged in marketing activities that employ social media as defined as blogs, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and and similar sites. Of course, many uh, websites of firms large and small uh, or law firms large and small have websites, just basic ones as well. Likewise, um, LexBlog, a leading um, legal blogging uh, company does a annual State of the AMLA 200 Blogosphere report that in 2010 revealed that uh, 62% of the AmLaw 200 law firms uh, have have blogs. That was up from uh, 39 firms uh, in uh, August 2007. Likewise, one more, a couple more data points for you here, just to share the 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 penetration of these media. Um, in 2010, uh, Zoighauser Group, along with uh, American Lawyer Media. And Green Target surveyed corporate counsel on their adoption of these tools. And 62% of corporate counsel uh, in that survey preferred to access outside counsel information or information about lawyers whom they would hire uh, online versus in print. And 53% of the corporate counsel surveyed predicted that their use of new media to access legal industry news and information would increase uh, in the next 6 to 12 months final point, I think, on this research that we, we put forth was that um, a UMass Dartmouth uh, study of Fortune 500 companies' adoption of social media. So if you can use that as a, a bellwether or a benchmark for the uh, adoption of these tools by corporate America, uh, fully 60% of the 2010, uh, 2010 Fortune 500 had corporate Twitter accounts. Um, and uh, 23% of the corporations uh, had a public-facing blog. So these technologies are are ubiquitous, and they are the way that uh, companies do business in the future. And I think it's just natural that the legal industry is using them as well
0: yeah and just picking up on what Nathan just said I think it's those statistics are, are, are pretty illustrative of, of the kinds of uh, statistics that we were seeing as well and that what led the Commission to want to study these issues but it wasn't only the increase in lawyers use of technology to market their services but also lawyers were left with a lot of questions about what they could and couldn't do uh, in light of what the um, advertising rules currently say and and so the other uh, motivation for the commission was not only that lawyers are using these technologies, but also the lack of clarity regarding what the rules actually mean in, ter- in terms of lawyers' use of those technologies.
2: And, and what's the real problem here? I mean, what is it that lawyers are doing wrong that may get them into ethical issues? What are the kind of... Can give me some examples?
0: Um, you know, what I, what I think the commission ultimately found was is that the, uh, the ethics rules Uh, Really apply equally well to the internet as they apply in any other context. And what we really needed to do was just clarify a little bit how those rules apply in the internet context. So it's it's not that the internet is kind of the wild west and lawyers can do whatever they want online. It's more about explaining how existing principles that underlie the rules apply in that context. So going to your question about an example, so one primary concern is any kind of uh, misleading or false representations that might take place on online. So there's a long-standing rule that says lawyers can't use misleading or false comments about themselves in order to get new clients. Well, there's no reason that that would apply only to television commercials or print advertisements. That, That principle applies also to what lawyers would do when trying to market themselves through any new form of technology. So Going to the question about what lawyers should be concerned about, probably the biggest issue that you see lurking out there is making sure that when lawyers use various new kinds of technologies, they don't uh, overstep their bounds in terms of how they represent themselves or their practices. I would
3: agree with that. I mean, I think our, our position is, is similar, uh, that clarity was needed and clarity was provided. And really, for us, it's a, it's about the message, not the medium. That was really, a, I think, a strong view of ours and other commenters in in the process that just like uh, the ABA can't possibly regulate every conceivable context for a lawyer to share information about his or her practice in in in-person settings at conferences or trade shows or on the telephone except to set out some basic fundamental principles such as not engaging in false or misleading conduct. Um, it was our view that those could be translated reg- you know, well into, into this new context. So message, not medium, it was really our, 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 our message. And the other, I think, concern um, that we, we definitely face, I think, in the, in the corporate context, and I should note that many of the LMA members work in law firms that, that tend to have a corporate clientele as opposed to individual, although we do have a, a mix um, is there are some risks certainly for lawyers uh, engaging in, in, in these new tools about inadvertent um, forming inadvertent lawyer-client relationships. Um, there's a there's a level of connectivity and sort of instant communication that um, just lawyers need to be aware of. As Andrew suggested, their their ever-present ethical obligations to make sure that whatever they whatever communications they engage in online um, or through new media appropriately caveated and so forth. And in fact, the ABA had had uh, an existing formal ethics opinion last August, uh, opinion 10-457, that clarified some of these things. And I think that together with that opinion, this proposal, really provides more clarity and it's helpful to the profession.
0: Yeah, I think Nathan is exactly right. The other big issue is the inadvertent creation of a lawyer-client relationship. You know, The, the existing rule, Rule 1.18, uh, talks about lawyers having discussions with clients. But of course, in, in light of all the new forms of technology, um, the idea of a conversation is, is <laughs> I wouldn't say it's antiquated, but it's not the only way in which lawyers and potential clients might engage with each other. And so so we wanted to make clear that the various kinds of communications might give rise to a lawyer-client relationship and give lawyers more guidance as to how they can avoid creating an inadvertent lawyer-client relationship, and the Commission um, certainly picked up on the ABA formal opinion that Nathan was just describing uh, and tried to build on that and, and provide as much guidance to lawyers as possible so that they could avoid creating inadvertent lawyer-client relationships and could take appropriate measures to make sure that they can. Complete With their ethical obligations.
2: You know, I'm I'm far from a Luddite, and I suspect that most of the people that listen to this podcast are as well because they're all technologically oriented. But it just seems to me that generalized rules uh, can apply across the board no matter what the technology. I mean, we've seen some drastic changes in technology in the last. 5, 10, 15 years, and I'm sure we're going to see even more drastic changes in technology. It seems to me that anything that you'd write that addresses technology would be out of date almost as soon as you wrote it. Why go with technology issues when you can issue generalized opinions uh, Craig, or generalized I, I, rules?
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And one thing that we were very careful to do is to try to remain technologically agnostic. So in other words, we were trying to address issues that have come up because of lawyers' use of technology, but we were very careful not to try to, to describe our guidance in the in in terms of the particulars of specific forms of technology that are being used today because we very much anticipate that things are going to look very much different five or ten years from now. And that's exactly why we focused on the idea of explaining how existing principles simply apply in new contexts rather than getting into the details of saying, you know, using Twitter or Facebook, yes or no. We really tried to pitch it at a, a higher level of generality so that it really has staying power going forward and that these we won't have to revisit these recommendations in just a few years.
3: Um, I agree with, with that. I think it was re- really well said. And just to build on that point, um, one of the things that we draw the, drew the commission's attention to in our testimony and comments was that many forms of internet-based um, communications, maybe they websites or blogs or social media, um, can be thought of differently than some of the old bad examples that you hear about of quote-unquote bad lawyer marketing, you know, the overly aggressive phone tactics or the ambulance chasing people hanging out at the courthouse or the, the obnoxious billboards. You know, in contrast, you know, internet uh, communications are, are sort of information on request and so I think the, t- to your point, Craig, I mean the, the the commission stopped short wisely of of dictating or, or or picking winners and losers of of technology applications, but it did recognize importantly in some of the comments. That, for example, internet search results, um, including pay-per-click uh, ads, you know, did not constitute solicitations that would subject lawyers to to some of the some of the rules provisions because they recognize that that in the technology age, you know, users drive their own experience, and so I think it recognizes not just the sophistication of the lay public to discern what is and what is not an advertising message. Um, consumers are very savvy. But also the fact that these are, this is information on request. People have, have gone out and sought this information through web searches or through uh, their own activities on social media, uh, surfing the Internet. So there's a, there's a difference there, I think, that the commission wisely recognized and, and put into the comments without making them technology-specific.
2: Well, really, it kind of begs the question of whether there should be ethical restrictions when it comes to legal marketing and social media any more so than the restrictions already exist
0: uh, that question is exactly right, and we ultimately concluded that there shouldn't be. There shouldn't be any additional restrictions that would exist uh, when lawyers use these new forms of technology, but rather what we needed was just some clarification about how the existing rules and existing principles that underlie them should apply in this new context. And and so I think you're right. There, there, the commission concluded there wasn't really any need for new regulations or new restrictions, but really just clarification.
3: Yep, that's definitely our view. I mean, uh, between... Uh to build on that you know between the federal trade commission you know, state attorneys general uh, other bodies uh, such as the direct marketing association among others that set the standards for um, you know marketing and advertising i mean there's a widely established body of of industry practice on these matters that ABA did not need to step in and, and and do new regulations, and they they wisely stayed away from it. I mean, one analogy I also make is to the financial sector and to the medical uh, profession. You know, if you want to do a bit of an analogy to the legal profession, um, you know, you can now find doctors online as well, and and you know, get information about medical conditions and so forth. But when you actually are seen by a doctor, you still have to fill out certain forms and disclosures and so forth. And it's the same thing with with, with lawyers and law firms. Likewise, the financial sector, you can do lots of things online, but you still have to f- check certain boxes, read certain disclosures. And those industries have adapted uh, and the legal industry is adapting as well. So I think agreeing with, with Andrew here, you know, no new regulation, uh, but some regulation is appropriate because this is a profession that um, that has a tr- strong tradition of protection for consumers and uh, has strong core values of honesty and integrity and other rules that wisely govern the conduct of lawyers. And so, uh, it's 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 good to have basic uh, and clear provisions.
2: Great. Well, thank you, uh, gentlemen. It's time for us to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have more on the ABA study of online advertising.
4: Hi, my name is Kate Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, President of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is?
5: In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them. The ability to get their work done from anywhere, whether it's at their office, at the courthouse, at home, or even if they're on vacation, they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done. Uh, The mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. With cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, uh, your Blackberry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing Uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a a really key benefit as well.
4: We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack.
5: Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com.
1: Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS-70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not?
4: I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed
5: Center.
1: Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them?
4: It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE.
1: Perfect. I'll do that right now. So nobody's reading your ads in the legal journals or magazines? Try your marketing with Legal Talk Network. Over 4 million listeners since launch. Go to legaltalknetwork.com and shoot us an email or call us at 781 551 9960.
2: Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. We're joined by Andrew Perlman, the chief reporter for the American Bar Association's Commission on Ethics 2020 and a professor at Suffolk University Law School. And Nathan Darling. He is the 2010 president of the Legal Marketing Association. And we're talking about the ABA's recent study on ethical issues as emerging in in the new technology of social media and so forth. One of the things, gentlemen, that concerns me just as as an attorney is that I get a lot of emails that are apparently phishing emails that are from somewhere in Africa, the Ivory Coast, or somewhere over in Korea. And to me, it's obvious that all they're really trying to do is get into one of those scams where you know they send me a check from some other company and get me to kite the money out of my attorney-client trust account sooner than the check cashes. Um, we've We've done some shows on that, but my understanding is that when you get an email like that, you really don't have to respond to it, and you probably shouldn't respond to it but is there any kind of duty that we have as lawyers to respond and provide a notice of non-retention or, or some type of thing that says, I'm not representing you, go away? Or do we can we pick and choose which ones we respond to?
0: So uh, in the commission's Proposal: uh, what we did was try to offer a little bit more guidance in uh, Rule 1.18, which deals with a uh, lawyer's duties with regard to prospective clients. And what we really wanted to emphasize here, what we thought the, the basic principle was, is that there is no duty that you that it need to extend to somebody who reaches out to you unless that person really has a reasonable expectation um, that you would consider representing them. And so what a cold call, phone call, or an email to you out of the blue somebody who sends that to you or calls you without any reason to think that you might be interested in representing them doesn't have a reasonable expectation uh, that you are going to act as that person's attorney. And so we wanted to make sure that that point was clear to avoid, I think, the very situation that you were just describing, Craig. We don't want lawyers to feel obligated that they need to reply to some email that's so clearly a scam, uh, because I think under those circumstances, nobody could reasonably believe that you would be interested in the, the possibility of representing that person. So we didn't want to create an obligation that would arise out of that kind of communication. On the other hand, what we also don't want to happen and let's take the other extreme is that a lawyer has a website, says, please contact me, I'm very interested in representing you if you have a uh, you know a certain type of, of legal matter, uh, you know, please send me all of the details regarding your case so that I can make an assessment. And then the person sends an email to that lawyer providing details about their case, under those circumstances, it might be very reasonable for the person to think that this lawyer was very interested in representing them. And what we wanted to make clear is that under those circumstances, the lawyer may in fact have an obligation that runs to that client, and and uh, and that lawyers therefore need to be careful about exactly what they say to the public. So, just to use the example I just gave you, one thing that a lawyer can do very easily is just put all kinds of provisos on their website that you know, if you send me an email, I, I can't necessarily represent you, and you know, please don't include confidential information. So they're very various kinds of ways that lawyers can avoid creating unintentional lawyer-client relationships. So this was very much a, an issue that the commission was interested in addressing, and we tr- tried to provide more guidance in the comment to Rule 1.18.
2: That that kind of thing is very frightening for me because, you know, just as not, well, it's frightening from the standpoint that where do you draw the line on an attorney's website from The point where it says, I'm very interested in representing you to, well, I've just got a website and, you know, here's my phone number and here's my email and you can send me an email if you want to and uh, I'm really not interested. I mean, how do you get, where do you draw the line between those two?
0: And sometimes there's not always going to be a very clear line to be drawn. And what we did in this comment is identify a number of factors that would weigh one way or another. So, for example, the comment that we had um, suggests, uh, I can just read it to you because I think it might be, I think it directly addresses your question. So when a a person initiates an electronic communication with a lawyer, such as through email or a website, the reasonableness of the person's expectation that the lawyer is willing to consider forming a client-lawyer relationship may depend on a number of factors, including whether the lawyer previously represented or declined to represent the person, whether the person prior to communicating with the lawyer encountered any warnings or cautionary statements that were intended to limit, condition, waive, or disclaim the lawyer's obligations whether those warnings or cautionary statements were clear, reasonably understandable, and conspicuously placed, and whether the lawyer acted or communicated in a manner that was contrary to the warnings or cautionary statements. And then there's an example. So, for example, if a lawyer's website encourages a website visitor to submit a personal inquiry about a proposed representation and the website fails to include any cautionary language, the person submitting the information could become a prospective client. But by contrast, if a website offers only information about the lawyer or the lawyer's firm, like the lawyer's contact information or email address, that information alone is typically insufficient to create a reasonable expectation that the lawyer is willing to consider forming a client-lawyer relationship. So, granted, there are going to be situations that are going to fall in the gray area, but I think this comment really kind of gives the more more common scenarios and gives lawyers advice about the kinds of things that they can do, for example, on their website to really limit the risk that they're going to be creating relationships with people they don't want to create relationships with.
3: Nathan, are you okay with that? I was just going to say, I, I agree completely. I think that was very well said. And we noted that comment because I think the important piece, I won't restate what Andrew just said, but the important piece for, for us and our members, particularly on websites, I think was that the recognition in, in the proposal, ABA's proposal that the mere fact of a, of a law firm having a website with basic information, contact details, and so forth does not you know, constitute a solicitation or an advertisement. Some states have read that that way, uh, in particular with respect to large national or even regional firms, um, because the internet, of course, knows no geographic boundaries. So a firm that has a national practice where people anywhere can access its website is is sort of long arm statuted into the, uh, you know, state bar regulations, uh, you know, in, in this way. And so I think that the ABA has provided very helpful clarity here again, um, that, you know, as Andrew mentioned, you've got sort of stop gates, and our members certainly work on these issues, how do you have the pop-up windows or disclaimers prominently placed in the process that for functions that invite a contact? Um, and also, just again, clarifying that the mere fact of having a website does not mean that the firm is automatically soliciting its services um, is very helpful. And, and so I hope that, it's our hope, I think, that the, these model rules, if adopted, uh, would be, you know, these, these kinds of principles would be carried through uh, in, across the states. I mean, I think it's uh, if you read the proposal, it, it's not it's not heavily redlined. I think that's a as we've been discussing. It, there wasn't a need for heavy redlining, but nonetheless, there's been some really important clarity provided here that I hope other states pick up on.
2: You know, I, I, and I don't mean to be cynical about it, but I mean, come on, guys. A website is not an advertisement. I can imagine uh, multiple judges across the country who are going to disagree with that assessment.
0: Well, I don't think the commission said that, uh, that lawyer websites aren't advertisements. I think they very much can be. So, for example, if you put something on your law firm website that's false or misleading... I think you are, you have some serious jeopardy of getting into some disciplinary trouble. So nobody's saying that lawyer websites are off-limits or they aren't subject to the, the usual rules of professional conduct. I think uh, the point of this particular comment and, and the issue that we were just talking about is more about whether the website by itself could be viewed as a solicitation. And a solicitation is, at least under the rules, considered to be different from an advertisement. A solicitation is subject to more regulation and restriction than a normal advertisement. So a website could be viewed as an advertisement, and you couldn't put anything false or misleading on it, but it wouldn't necessarily be considered a solicitation and subject to the additional restrictions that that arise in that particular context.
2: Okay. Well, we've just about reached the end of our program, so it's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts as well as your contact information. So, Nathan, I'll flip it over to you.
3: Well, thanks again for having me on. Um I think final thoughts from us, you know, as I said before, clarity is a good thing. We really think that the commission did a good job here being uh, balanced and fair and clear where where it was needed and using a light hand where where a heavy hand was not needed. As we've expressed to the ABA, we are keenly interested in these issues and we have expertise and our members have expertise to contribute, so we look forward to continuing dialogue on these as the process winds through the ABA and, and then beyond. We note, by the way, um, one of the footnotes, I can't cite the page number off the top of my head, but there's a note about um, interest in the possible commissioning of an additional white paper on constitutional issues, uh, with the 50 state patchwork quilt issue I raised earlier, and we're very keen on that issue as well as for reasons I've already said. So we look forward to the, the next phases here, and, uh, um, our association's website is www.legalmarketing.org, and my personal details, um, uh, are NAD at VNF.com or 202-298-1890 if anyone wishes to reach out.
0: Thanks
2: again. Thank you very much. Andrew?
0: And so the final thoughts from the Commission's perspective is that uh, we're getting into the later stages of our work, and uh, we have now released a lot of our proposals, and we're very eager to hear from the legal profession and even people outside of the legal profession regarding what they think about our proposals, um, and that they are welcome to contact us. If you Google ABA Ethics 2020, you'll come across the Commission's website as well as a lot of resources that we have there. So please contact us regarding any thoughts or suggestions that you might have we're very eager to hear them and if you want to reach me um my email address is a perlman a p e r l m a n at edu, and i'd be uh, happy to hear from you so uh craig thank you very much for having me
2: great andrew where can we find the uh, proposals
0: Um, So on the Ethics 2020 Commission's website. So if you go to the ABA's website, you you can find it there. But I think the easiest way to find the direct link is if you just go, if you just do a internet search of ABA Ethics 20/20, you'll you'll find the website very easily, as well as all the proposals that we were just talking about.
2: Great. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for being on our program this morning. We very much appreciate your time, your dedication to the issue, and making sure that uh, this all winds through the process carefully and thoughtfully.
3: Thank you very much. Thanks again.
2: All right. Well, for our listeners, remember now you can get CLE credit through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to Select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to legaltalknetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all of our Legal Talk Network shows, including this one, Lawyer to Lawyer, on iTunes. We'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer.
1: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss.